Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, Christos and Nasty, my friends. The opening music was by Save, vocal group from the CD Made of Angels by Save. If you want to order a copy, contact Save.org. That's S A V A E.org. And they're also on Facebook and do live shows. You can listen to them for free on YouTube. And they also have a CD on Amazon for sale. Anyway, I love them and uh, you'll enjoy the whole uh, CD. 
And hello again, I'm your host and friend, Reverend Sharon McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to focus on the tenant that Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome, of course. And I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible, and you, of course, may use any Bible you wish. I have had many spiritual experiences, and in gratitude, we will have ongoing Bible readings and discussion about our spiritual experiences. And I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. The call-in number this morning for any special request is 619-924-9744. And Sacred Sunday airs every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm here every Sunday. Okay, for opening prayer, let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and lives are in great jeopardy. And those whose lives were taken for distorted and evil reasons, they have become martyrs. That's what we believe. We pray that all those suffering from violence across the sea and here at home, we pray for those who are sick in mind and body and those who are lonely and uncomforted. We please God forgive us our sins. We pray for those who are suffering for domestic violence in their own homes and freedom from addiction of all kinds. We also pray freedom from sickness and help us cope with our illnesses and the various pains we have in our life. We also, please God, ask you to send Archangel Michael to fight against evil and to protect all of us and all your angels to watch over everybody. Our prayers also go out to all the little ones that suffer in the world, including the animals and people that can't speak for themselves. We pray also for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. They have many decisions to make, and we're praying for all countries for problems of suffering all over the world. We thank you so much, God, for everything you have given us. And thank you, God, for everything you've taken away. And thank you, God, for everything you've left us. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care, that we can grow in maturity and knowledge and follow his way. We also keep everybody and their families and friends and everybody else in our prayers. We ask you to take mercy on us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we have uh, a few birthdays today. I would like to say happy birthday to, let's see, Brian Miller. Oh, let's, uh, I'm sorry about this. Hold on one second. The little thing is slow. Hold on one moment, please. Well, anyway, I want to wish happy birthday. God bless you to everybody that has a birthday or anniversary today, including Bill Shell, David Smith, Larry Troy Langdon. Happy birthday, happy birthday, my friends, and everybody else that has a birthday or anniversary today. We uh, wish you for a blessed and happy year ahead, and God bless you in every way. And 
Also, if you don't have a home, a Bible, uh, you can go to www.biblia.com and get your Bible on there, and um, you can read along with us. And uh, we accidentally, me, okay, I blame myself, we read chapter 9 of Corinthians twice, so we got an earful of the whole thing twice. So we're going on to move to chapter 10 uh, today. So uh, thank you for your patience. And if you notice, just realize that we were just doing a review. And uh, anyway, so let me give you the summary of chapter 10 today. So chapter 10 has to do with, uh, you know, Paul and how he thinks the, the apostle should be and everything else. So uh, a little historical footnote before we start this chapter is the scholars think that Second Corinthians is actually made up of two letters. The first one was chapters 1 through 9. The second one begins here today. You'll probably notice that there's a different tone shift. And just a sentence ago, Paul was praising the Corinthians for their generosity and asking them for money. And now he's getting mad at them and telling them off. So no one is going to, to empty their pocketbooks after this stuff uh, because Paul does have a temper and... Uh, that's what's going on here. Anyway, the title is You Wouldn't Like Paul When He's Angry. So Paul begins by saying he's writing to them in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, and then he goes on to freak out. It seems that Paul has been saying, has been saying he's actually more impressed in letter than in person. Hey, all of us have letters to go on, but that might be true. Anyway, Paul, but Paul wants us to make it clear that he's not afraid to confront these naysayers when he sees them. Paul is a man of action, not just beautifully written words. We're at war here. Paul is going to take on the enemy, and let's get ready to rumble. Tried and true apostle. Paul reminds the Corinthians that if they're really devoted to Christ, they'll see that he is too, not like these other jerks hanging around Corinth. Sorry. Anyway, it seems that there's a group of so-called apostles who don't like Paul much. And they don't think the people in Corinth should actually be listening to him. But Paul tells them he's not going to brag about himself like they do. Maybe they're all talking up their holiness and how they all had fancy religious experiences, but Paul's not going to go there. He reminds the Corinthians that he's the one who founded their church, him, Mr. Paul. Now, these little idiots have come in and tread on his work. Why? He can't. They can't get their own flock. You see, Paul doesn't believe in church poaching, and he was here first, and that counts for something. So don't, so you don't mow another guy's lawn, in other words. Anyway, besides, these so-called apostles just brag about themselves day and night, and it's very annoying. Anyone, everybody knows that real apostles only brag about good work of, that God has done. You know, real apostles like Paul. So anyway, that's the controversy of today. So let's go ahead and go to our chapter 10, finally, after we went through a couple times. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Anyway, let's reach to chapter 10. Let me give you a couple minutes. Just get your Bible going. Okay, Second Corinthians, chapter 10. The Apostle's Vindication of Himself. The 30 of His Apostleship. 10. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ that I am meek when face-to-face -face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be 
courageous against some, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare is not of the flesh, but of divi- divinely powerful, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are not destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, for we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself and he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that he is Christ. Also, so also are we. For even if I boast something further in our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in the word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who command themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God appointed to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within your sphere, our sphere, enlarged even more by you. So as to the preach the gospel, even to the region beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is not, is to boast on the Lord's. In the, sorry, let me read that again. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Well, he's right. He was telling them off. Anyway, so let's go and read the notes down here at the bottom. It says ten uh, one. In spite of Paul's general satisfaction with the Corinthian church, there are still some there who challenge his apostolic authority and follow certain leaders Paul calls false apostles. These leaders were apparently Jewish Christians who claimed higher authority than Paul, and he lorded over the church. And then by 10.3, in the flesh, the human body with its limitations according to the flesh, after the impulses of the sinful nature. More notes. In contrast to those, the false teachers, Paul used spiritual weapons in combating their arguments and pretentiousness. And now we're on 10, 7 through 9. You look, Paul says, only at what lies before your eyes. I belong to Christ as much as they do. As a matter of fact, I would claim higher authority that that might frighten you. Hmm. Then uh, contemptible means no count. And then. 10, 12, the false teachers compared themselves to themselves, not to God or in his high standards. And then beyond his limits or assigned region, the territory God 
had assigned to Paul. In that territory, which included Corinth, he would boast, but not in areas in which others had labored. And then 10, 15 through 16, as their faith grows, his presence is no longer necessary. Paul could turn to other fields, regions beyond. Paul likely had Spain in mind when he was saying this. Anyway, that was chapter 10. It did sound like an angry letter, as we warned you when we started out. And uh, that happens sometimes. To me, this makes it even more real, what we're supposed to be doing and how, you know, we're just, we're human beings. And he is actually an appointed apostle. And he still got mad, and they underestimated him when they met him. And uh, they were scared of his letters. It's like they're saying, you know, he got mad and wrote us these letters, but in person he's meek. So I guess Paul was offended. Anyway, next week we'll go on with Chapter 11. And let's see. Let's read out of our faithful little book, Guideposts, the Best Love Stories. And I'm going to just go random as I usually do and just pick out a story and read it. And we usually get blessed by these little stories. And I really appreciate it very much. So let me hear. Okay. So this is by Hannah Pearson. And the names have been changed for this story. And usually it puts their name in the town. This time the name's changed. And it says, what happens when love fails? Let us begin. Okay, my sister Katie and I were trapped in the pantry with our mother. She was giving us shots of blood red vinegar. Even if I swallow quickly, the sharply acidic taste remains in my mouth. She holds my face towards her as her thumb pushes in under my jawbone. I used to admire the crystal shot glasses kept in Graham's cabinet. But now the glass is thick and cold as my mother forces the caustic punishment down my throat. It is as a few years later I am eight. I am sitting in the dining room table with Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. It is an immense book with tiny type. There are no sentences, only phrases, abbreviations, or reference numbers. I love to read. I have a list of books that I have read this year. But Strong's does not have stories in it. The leather-bound King James Bible has stories in it. But my task was to find all the verses under the bold heading that reads, Tailbearer, after that, Liar. Then I write out the relevant Bible passages in, the, the, in their entry. My only recourse is to do what I am told so that I'll be able, so maybe this will not happen again. It starts to get dark and my fingers hurt and I get thirsty, but I stay at the table until I'm done. I accept these disciplinary measures. They are not painful like under-the-chin punches that do not leave much of a visible mark. As I get older, the injustice strikes me harder. Words cause me the most pain. The words last much longer than the bruises. My mother wishes out loud that i never been born. She destroys my confidence. I have developed a sort of cynicism. I doubt that people could honestly be good to me and that they could like me. I have no sense of security or trust. I find a kitchen knife on the floor in my room and wonder what has what was been contemplated while I slept. Sometimes I try to hide alone and scared in a dark, cold cellar or garage. Sometimes we fight all night. I struggle to get away until she becomes bored or tired. It is futile for a 60-pound child to try to escape the bathroom when a large and strong woman blocks the door. Grandpa threatens to call the police, but he never does. He's afraid of her, too. My head aches. 
welts rise on my arms. Blood rushes to my face as I feel my cheeks glow and the warm under her pram print. Her anger comes from something other than my feelings. Something else sets her off, but she attacks Katie, Graham, and me. I am the strongest and the angriest, and I fight back. I do things to distract her from them, like throw her Diet Coke soda on her worn blue bathrobe, and when her hatred is turned towards me, I am only a weak child, but I cannot do anything to make it stop. Sometimes my mother speaks with no emotion, no expression on her face. It scares me when she's hollow like this because I know she's agitated, perhaps on the verge of explosive wrath. I do not want to upset her. I'm afraid of messing up. I am always treading on thin ice. My efforts to avoid confrontation by careful obedience was doomed to fail. I have become a meticulous perfectionist, a neat child of to those who do not know. People think I have good manners. I am unheard and unseen. I just watch. I had plenty of time to study my family members because I am observant and I am sensitive to what the people in my house are feeling and thinking. It is like keeping track of the pieces on a chessboard. It is necessary that I know how each piece moves and how the opponent will react. I do not worry about winning, just keeping myself out of check. I start sixth grade at my new school, and Katie does too. I try not to be noticed. This is difficult because my class is small and the other kids are nice to me. I go to their birthday parties and eat dinner at their houses. Maybe maybe they like me a little. Their moms seem nice, but my mom can seem nice too. My teacher is more than just nice. She understands. Mrs. Hoffman must remember what it was like to be a kid. I work hard at school, and if I do really well, mom might not get so angry with me. Dad might notice that I exist. He might listen. He might be around more. He spends plenty of time with other kids. He directs the youth group at church. I bring home almost perfect report cards, but he does not say good job. I work hard anyway because I am learning. I am learning that there is much more than I want to know. Dad comes home late at night wearing his leather jacket after youth group. He smells like bowling alleys and pizza, and he sits on the edge of the bed. Dad says that Mike might have to go. Mom might have to go away for some help for a while. Instead of this sudden information solving my problems, it adds to them. The information preceded by don't let your mother know is dangerous. If my collusion is discovered later, the consequences would be severe. Katie is worried and I try to comfort her. Miss Hoffman can tell I haven't slept and she does not know that my mother has had her hands around my throat last night. I talk to her. I tell her some of what's going on. She goes with me to the headmaster, and I cry because I know it may get worse from here. They give me a dry paper Kleenex. When my dad picks Katie and me up from school, we cannot go home alone. Katie cries, and she does not want to leave mom, and my dad says he's taking us away. We end up at a foster home in the next state. It is a Christian family, and they pray for us, and the family already has plenty of kids. Eventually, dad, Katie, and I move back together without mom. The next years are filled with lawyers and social workers. A psychiatrist evaluates us and says my sister and I are okay. I think Katie and I have learned to cope with a lot. I have to go to court. One of my teachers tells me, gives me an index card with verses on it to give me courage. These are the kind verses from the Bible, not the punishment or condemnation. They're not about talebearers. God says that he will be there even when your father or mother forsake you. 
I have not had a mother in an emotional sense, and now I do not have one physically present. I'm the oldest. I'm independent and responsible, and I have to be. Some of my friends have moms to wrap sandwiches and wax paper for brown bag lunches. Their mothers do their laundry for them and come to their eighth grade graduation and make sure the dresses fit. I buy the fabric for my dress from my own money, and I sew it myself. I still have my dad, but he cannot fill a void where two parents should be. He is still the same. A woman who is also a youth group leader is my father's wife now. My mother still haunts my daily existence. She calls my school, my house, my friend's mother's. She shows up at my church. She follows me and makes threats. And she tells people that I'm a terrible person, and she throws the red punch that they serve after church into our car. Restraining orders are only pieces of paper. When she's committed to a hospital, it just takes more or more angry. And Graham insists she is sick, that I should not hold it against her. Christ commanded us to love everyone, to go visit my mother. She is the insane people on the 10th floor. I appease Graham. I should forgive, but later I think I do. It is difficult for me to love. I have started to accept myself. Even though my mom wished I had not been born, I could not be happier to be alive. I found that there are people who really do love me for who I am. And to really love, I have to trust first. My trust is hard to earn because I have lost a lot for trusting a little. Maybe I am not emotional because I do not find love quickly. But I'm emotional in the sense that I value love because I perceive it as rare. God's love is abundant yet rare in its perfection. I have been looking for faithfulness and unconditional love among my fellow imperfect human beings. Now I face questions about my future. I can look back and see God has carried me through anyway. He has been faithful, and as I fall away, he calls me back. Sometimes I think I have to study, to search for God, and and to receive a sign. When I stop searching, I just think about all he has done for me. Faith, trust, and love has become so simple. And then it says here, Irish Blessing. God for the good day, God for the bad day, God for the pleasure, God for the pain, God for the rain, God when the barns are empty, God when they're full. Irish blessing. Well, that brings me to mind of Maureen O'Hara, one of the blessed mothers that I also had a mother that was cruel like this, and I wasn't mothered like this poor person, and uh, we keep her in our prayers as we do. We add them to our prayers Every every week we pray for those that don't have voices that are that are hurt and there's violence in their own home, and we have always prayed for that, and we will continue to do so. And um, I had a family much like that, and I think I was put in a home, and many things happened. And what has happened now is that I carry through with faith. And then, as a child, I've always believed in God, and I believe in God now. And that's why we pray for others and others that may be hurt and others that may be, you know, hiding their hurt and that we, you know, we don't even know what's going on. But at least we can keep them in our prayers and have the angels watch over them and guide and teach us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And I want to thank you for listening again this morning. And I want to God bless you. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in as you do every Sunday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I want to tell you again, I really appreciate your listeners and also the listener that listens in archives. And 
I know that we're not a perfect perfect Bible reading show, but we do the best we can and as far as our understanding goes. And we thank you for your patience with us and that we're just making it straight through the Bible. And it's going to be slow going if I keep reading our same chapter every week. So, well, next week we'll go on chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians. And God bless you. Love you very much. And take care in every way. Love you all. God bless you. Amen.